0: Getting Better Health Care is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma.
1: Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on WebTalkRadio.net.
0: I'm your host. Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DoctorScore.com Physician Rating website. On today's show, we're talking about the American military. Why are we talking about the American military on a health program? Well, the Department of Defense, the DOD, is dedicated to protecting Americans and American interests around the world. But it also has to provide health care for soldiers and their families. This has gotten to be so expensive for our military that you'll see the leaders of our military testifying to Congress about the problem of health care costs. To speak to us today about health care costs in our military, we have Todd Harrison. He's Senior Fellow for Defense Budget Studies at the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments. Todd, thank you so much for taking time to be on the program today.
2: Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: Uh, To start off, can you tell us a little bit about um, the military's medical system? You know, I think of the military as being out there fighting wars and stuff. Thinking of it as a medical system isn't top of mind for me.
2: Yeah, actually, um, it is a substantial uh, portion of what DOD does. Uh, Just in terms of money, uh, the DOD military health care system uh, consumes uh, almost one-tenth of the base defense budget each year. That's excluding the cost of the wars. Um, you know, it's about one-tenth of our peacetime defense budget, so $52 billion a year uh, is what we're spending. Uh, and DOD operates its own hospitals, more than 50 hospitals uh, around the world. Uh, that are owned and operated by DOD, and uh, doctors and nurses and other staff are employed by DOD. Uh, and it's got uh, several hundred medical clinics, uh, several hundred dental clinics, and even uh, veterinary clinics, actually,
0: <laughs> really?
2: uh, for animals that are all around the world uh, that are owned and operated by DOD. So it actually is uh, quite a large part of our healthcare care system.
0: When, when I think about the military and health, I think, you know, God forbid, some soldier is shot, needs emergent treatment. Or maybe they develop a rash in the field. Either way, they need emergent treatment. They they A corpsman is there to help take care of them initially, and then they're sent off to maybe a hospital in Germany or Walter Reed for specialty care. It sounds like there's a lot more to it than that.
2: Yeah, I mean, what you described certainly is part of it. Um, and, you know, that all is included in the military health care system. Uh, but it actually is a pretty small part of it. The wounded and ill uh, soldiers uh, part of military health care system is only about $2 billion a year uh, you know, out of a you know, $52 billion budget. Um, so it's relatively small uh, in terms of dollars. The very large parts of the program uh, are providing health care to military retirees. And I should make a distinction up front. This is not veterans' health care. Veterans' health care is actually funded entirely separately through the Department of Veterans Administration. Um, so, you know, VA healthcare is separate from this. That's not included in the 52 billion dollars I'm talking about. Uh, but military retiree healthcare uh, is. And military retirees are, of course, veterans, but they aren't uh, necessarily eligible for veterans healthcare if they retire without any kind of service-related injuries or disabilities. Um, but What that is is uh, people who have served uh, at least 20 years in the military uh, and then they're eligible for retirement. So it's people who range in age from 38 years old uh, up to 65 and beyond. Um, Now for people that are 38 to 65, they take part in what is called the TRICARE system. uh, And part of it, the care comes through uh, military hospitals directly. They also have the option of going to private health care providers and then DOD is acting as an insurance company and they pay for their care on the outside. Uh, But a substantial part of the money now, uh, some $11 billion a year, actually goes to paying um, for uh, TRICARE for Life is what it's known as. This is uh, basically a Medicare supplemental insurance policy. Uh, for military retirees over the age of 65. So when they qualify for Medicare, they can go on Medicare, and then DOD uh, gives them this uh, uh, supplemental policy that pretty much covers everything Medicare doesn't cover, uh, and there's no premium for it either. Um, That actually costs about $11 billion a year just to pay for military retirees over the age of 65.
0: You didn't mention anything about family members. Uh, are they part of the system?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, So for active-duty military uh, and for reservists that are on active status, uh, you automatically get coverage for free for yourself and your family. Uh, for military retirees, they also uh, can buy insurance for themselves and their families. They pay a very small premium. Uh, it's $460 a year for the family plan, so it's about $38 a month, and covers your entire family. So when we talk about the military health care system, uh, it includes a lot of people who've never served in the military, uh, as who are dependents of someone who's serving in the military. So it actually totals, there are 9.6 million Americans are eligible uh, to be in the military health care system, and only a fraction of those have served in the military.
0: When you say a fraction, are you talking about a small fraction or a large fraction?
2: No, I mean I don't. I don't have the exact number in front of me. I mean it's still several million of it, um, but I think more than half uh, are dependents, spouses, or children uh, of someone who is in the military or retired from the military.
0: I had heard a statistic that that uh, automakers spend more on health care than they do on steel, <laughs> and, and and I was. Um, I was shocked one day to see, you know, here we are during a time of two wars, to turn on C-SPAN, watching our nation's top generals, the – I'm sorry, uh, Secretary Gates, the head of the uh, DOD, the Department of Defense, uh, and they were testifying to Congress. And they weren't talking about, um, you know – Guns they were talking about health care
2: right yeah it's a it's an interesting uh, dynamic that's going on within the military um, this is something I've written about before and I've called it the new guns versus butter debate we traditionally think of the guns versus butter debate as being between uh, you know domestic spending in the federal budget things like schools and health care uh, things like that versus you know the guns part of the federal budget spending on defense. But I actually, I think that there's a a guns versus butter debate within the defense budget uh, that a growing uh, portion of the defense budget, in fact, the fastest growing part of the defense budget is actually military health care. And I think that there's there's starting to be a real guns versus butter debate uh, within the Pentagon uh, where you've got people looking at, you know, uh, the type of threat environment we're foreseeing in the future. Uh, the type of uh, weapon systems we might need, the type of force structure we might need. And they're saying, hey, uh, given the budget constraints that we have, we can't necessarily fund all these things we think we need to have the military capabilities we need in the future uh, if we've got these rising personnel costs, particularly military health care. So we've got to do something to get military health care costs under control.
0: So they were at the point now where they're saying, you know we we can't afford another aircraft carrier because our healthcare care bill is so high, or we can't afford a base at this location because we're spending so much money on healthcare care.
2: Yeah, I mean they're not they're not making um, a, a direct uh, tie yet you know between specific weapon systems and healthcare care, but they're definitely saying that we can't fund overall procurement of weapon systems, acquisition of weapon systems in the future. Uh, with these rising health care costs.
0: This is in a microcosm what's happening more globally with the federal budget where you have entitlement programs like Medicare growing out of control and you have a certain amount of military spending you have to do and then it's really crowded out the spending for pretty much anything else you would want to do.
2: Yeah, it, it is, it's having that crowding out effect within the defense budget. And so that's why, and, and, you know, it's really not that new. It's getting more attention now because of the, the change they requested uh, in the FY12 budget. Uh, but it has, it's been an issue for, you know, a, at least five years. Um, leaders in DOD have talked about it. If you go back to the uh, FY07 budget request, so this was in the Bush administration, uh, they actually proposed a substantial change in the military health care system where they would raise the premiums paid by working-age military retirees. Uh, so these are retirees aged 38 to 65, and instead of paying $460 a year for coverage for their entire family, uh, they're going to raise it, and it was a, a range of rates depending on what you retired at, but they're going to roughly double it. Um, and the idea is that uh, if these working-age retirees uh, had to pay more to be in the TRICARE system more of them would elect to use their employer's uh, health care plans because about 70% of military retirees actually have access to health care, uh, other health care through their employer or their spouse's employer.
0: My so the goodness. idea was not
2: to raise money by raising the premiums, but to encourage people to switch off the military health care system completely.
0: Talk about a politically impossible to achieve, first of all, you'd be Mm -hmm. fighting against all those people who wouldn't want their rates raised, American veterans, you know, Mm -hmm. people who devoted their lives to military service. And that's that's a non-starter to begin with. But then the only savings you're really getting by doing this isn't actual savings. You're just pushing the the high cost of care onto somebody else. So I'm sure that, that no business person would have been very much in favor of this plan either.
2: Yeah, so you know what ended up happening is this was dead on arrival in Congress. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, they proposed it again the next year in the 2008 budget, and I believe in the 2009 budget as well. Um, and it still, of course, it got nowhere. This was politically, this was a non-starter. People on both sides of the aisle in Congress said, "No way, we're not touching this at all." It's, uh,
0: it's a fascinating solution to a problem. To that. Yeah. I mean, the problem is the high cost of care, and it does nothing to the high cost of care. It just shifts the burden from right. one person to somebody else.
2: It, it gets it out of the defense budget, and it, it gets it out of the federal budget. It puts it back on the private sector. Um, and, and you know, there, you can make arguments pro or against this, um, but in 2010, uh, when the Obama administration submitted their first budget to Congress, the FY10 budget, um, They uh, did not include any provision like this at all. Um, And uh, I actually asked the uh, DOD comptroller, Robert Hill, why didn't you? Uh, Because this had been proposed in the past, and and his response was basically to the effect of, you know, if you get hit upside the head with a two-by-four enough times, you start learning not to do it again. (laughs) Um, So I was a little surprised that they uh, did something like this in the FY12 budget, although it's much more modest. Uh, in the most recent budget that the administration sent to Congress uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, they said, uh, "Let's raise the Tricare premium $60, so it would go from $460 a month to uh, $520, a mo- I'm sorry, a year, uh, $520 a year, 520 um, a year, and then let's link it to healthcare inflation in the future." Because in the past, this $460 annual premium is has not been linked to inflation. It was set at that level in 1995 as an increased one cent since then. Um, so they said, let's raise it a little, and then let's link it to a healthcare care inflation metric uh, in the future so it'll, it'll rise according to health care costs. Um, and so I think you know they're trying to, to basically take the same approach uh, but you know do it much more modest uh, and link it to inflation so they don't have to go back and try to do this again in the future.
0: You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. Our guest today is Todd Harrison, Senior Fellow for Defense Budget Studies at the Center for Strategic and Budgetary Assessments. That's right, we're talking about the military budget here on Getting Better Health Care. Todd, um, as I was listening to the testimony, I got the sense that there might have been some effort to change not only the premium, but change... Copayment structures and things like that. Do you know if that's on the table?
2: Yeah. So this is something that's been talked about for a while as well. Um, you know, and and not to get too down in the weeds, but you know, depending on where you're getting your healthcare services in the military healthcare system, um, you know, like if you if you if you see a doctor at a military facility, if you fill a prescription uh, at a, a military facility, uh, your copay can be zero, uh, and so it creates an incentive. Uh, for people to overuse the system, or in the case of the prescription drugs, uh, you know uh, what's common—at least you know—I found with doctors is they might say, "Okay, if you don't get better in a few days, you might need to start this antibiotic. I'll go ahead and write you the script, but wait and fill it and see if you need it." You know, if I've got a ten, twenty-dollar copay, I probably will wait and see if I need it, or more likely to. If it's a zero-dollar copay. I might as well go ahead and fill it while I'm there. <laughs> and then if I take it, I do. If I don't, I throw it away. Um, so they're trying to create some better incentives uh, within the military health care system uh, for people to use the, the health care that they need more uh, wisely.
0: You know, I, I find this to be such a critically important point that when you create a system that says to you, you can have whatever you want and somebody else is going to pay for it. It, it creates um, bad, bad things start to happen to the price of the goods and to the use of the goods I mean we, people deserve to eat but we don't tell people listen go to the grocery store and get whatever you want the government's going to pay for it I mean uh, it, it would just it would create perverse perverse pricing and all kinds of, of things and so the um, w- within the military of course you want people to have the services they need but um, how about do you know any whether for example something like cosmetic services somebody doesn't like a wrinkle? Uh, is that something the military is going to cover?
2: Not, on a, not normally no. I mean obviously they would cover like if you've been injured and you need you know plastic surgery or reconstructive mm-hmm. surgery, they cover that. Um, but they don't normally cover just you know elective type procedures. I will say though I have heard in some instances on a space available basis, uh, they would allow people to get cosmetic procedures done because these are government doctors already, and we're paying them a salary. So the thinking was, if they have extra time, they could do extra procedures just to, you know, enhance their skills. Um, I don't think that that's that widespread, though.
1: So, uh,
2: but you know, it's worth pointing out that um, you know a lot of the the problems that DoD has with its healthcare system aren't really unique to DoD. They're problems that we have in the rest of, uh, you know, the healthcare industry, um, you know, growing healthcare costs, people using care more frequently, um, and and that is what's contributing to a lot of this.
0: It's been a while since we talked about my favorite example of the the patient who would. Uh, come in with, for example, psoriasis, and we would offer them a choice of therapies from a $4 generic to a $200 branded product to maybe an $800 branded product. And, you know, the well-insured patient who doesn't have to pick up the cost, if you, you know, offer them this choice, the the first thing, they don't usually say, well, I'll just take the generic and let me, you know, try. Instead, they'll say, well, you know that eight hundred dollar one. Why don't you give me the prescription for that and the two hundred dollar one, and I'll try them both and I'll see which one I like. Is that the kind of issue we face in the military if there's if there's little uh, in the way of copay responsibility?
2: Yeah, I, I think that you know at some level that is part of the problem, um, and you know kind of at a higher level, um, part of the problem is that if if people are offered this health care, Uh, with an annual premium that's this low, uh, what's the incentive not to take it and maybe use it as, you know, uh, double coverage with coverage that you already have through, you know, your employer or someone else, uh, and then just make this secondary coverage because TRICARE does cover some things uh, that other, you know, plans, HMO plans in particular, would not cover. Uh, So, you know, if you make it cheap enough, people might just use it anyway. Um, And, you know, that's, that's... part of the problem here uh and from a you know a dod perspective you know granted uh you know this doesn't reduce health care costs in the aggregate but at least within the defense budget uh, they really want to try to get more people out of the military health care system uh just so they aren't paying the full cost of insuring them
0: this is fascinating i have the sense that uh you watch this like a, a grand play at work uh, do, do you see any solutions to the problems that the the military is facing with regard to health care spending
2: uh, you, there aren't any easy solutions I can tell you that <laughs> if there was an easy solution uh, they already they would have done it by now um, It's a, a complicated uh, political situation uh, to navigate because you know you've got uh, you know, DOD with their primary focus on the two wars that we have going on right now uh, and taking care of the troops uh, that are fighting those wars. Uh, and so military health care is part of that. Um, you know, although, you know, like I said before, the you know, care for wounded and ill soldiers is a small portion of the budget. It's an important part of the budget. Um, and then you've got uh, you know, Congress, who's you know, putting budget pressure on DOD overall, Uh, to bring down the level of spending in the peacetime part of the defense budget. Uh, You've got the administration themselves also putting some constraints uh, on defense spending. Uh, But then at the same time, you've got a lot of what are effectively lobbying-type groups, uh, like Military Officers Association of America, MOA, uh, and many other veterans and military retiree uh, organizations uh, are pushing Congress uh, all the time Uh, to not only maintain the current benefits, but to actually enact new and expanded benefits uh, that would go beyond what service members already have. Uh, So, you know, you've got all of these conflicting pressures uh, going on at the same time, uh, and that makes it difficult to to really step back and say, okay, what can we do that's smart here to try to rein in some costs?
0: And you don't have any advice for them?
2: Well, You know, there's a lot of uh, small things you can do, um, and they're trying to, uh, like, uh, you know, electronic medical records, uh, better linking of uh, records between uh, the Department of Defense and when people transition to the Veterans Administration, um, you know, in their healthcare system, uh, you know, better matching between those so that, you know, uh, we don't run duplicative tests uh, in each separate healthcare system. Uh, to look at the same underlying issues. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, uh, one way or another, uh, discouraging people from using healthcare care services that they don't actually need. Uh, and I don't think that that's an easy, easy thing to do. Uh, and it really is not a problem that's unique to DOD. Uh, what's unique is that, you know, this is uh, the closest thing we have to a real government-run healthcare care system in the U.S., Um, where, you know, the insurer is the U.S. government, the hospitals are owned and operated by the U.S. government, and the doctors and nurses work for the U.S. government. Uh, They're directly employed. Uh, So, you know, I think that that uh, maybe, you know, to be an optimist for a second, that presents a somewhat unique opportunity uh, where we could try some new things uh, to see if we can rein in health care costs.
0: Aside from the costs, it's interesting that you say that this is the closest thing we have to a, Government-run health care, and it sounds like it's some of the best health care there is in the United States. People fear that, boy, government-run care would be shoddy. But I don't think anybody's complaining that the military – I mean people are concerned about the cost of this military system. But in terms of quality, I don't know that you or I are the expert on that, but it sure doesn't seem like that's the major problem that they're facing.
2: Right. That's that's not the main uh, complaint that you hear from DOD these days. Uh, it's not about the quality. I mean, certainly there are you know anecdotes I hear from time to time uh, about you know poor care in uh, the military healthcare system, and you know there's certainly some truth to that. Uh, you know we've seen before at Walter Reed Hospital here uh, outside of D.C. Um, they found really uh, atrocious substandard care there. Um, But, you know, on the whole, um, that doesn't seem to be an issue for DOD or for members in the military. Uh, The real issue uh, is the cost.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that really, really gets me, uh, perks my ears up are episodes of selection bias. When you hear about one thing and you think, man, that whole system must be like that. But the, the reason you heard about it was because it was so atypical. And I get the sense that, as bad as the the problems were at Walter Reed, that they probably weren't reflective of the what what did you say roughly ten million people who are right. covered by this system,
2: right, right. I mean, and you know, personally, I've I've been at military hospitals from San Antonio, Texas to Germany, um, and they are you know great-looking facilities, um, you know, well-run organizations, um, and you know, uh, they do. Uh, provide some of the finest health care available and they should. Um, you know the, the problem at the end of the day though is what can we afford um, and y- you know part of the problem uh, you know like I've said before is that more people are electing to stay in the military health care system they're using the healthcare care services at a greater rate and then we've got overall growth in health care expenses um, which is you know reflective of what's going on in the overall economy. but also Congress has been enacting, uh, greater and expanded benefits over the past decade, like the uh, TRICARE for Life program that I was talking about earlier that is a Medicare supplemental insurance policy. It's costing $11 billion a year now. Uh, that didn't exist in the 1990s. Uh, that program was created, I believe it was in uh, 2001. Um, so that's a new benefit uh, that's been added to the budget um, that it just didn't exist before. Uh, so, you know, that's a trend that we, we just can't continue. And, in fact, you know, from a budget perspective, you'd want to reverse it, but politically, uh, once you've given a benefit to someone, it's it's almost impossible to take it back.
0: Todd, do you have any final comments for our listeners?
2: Uh, you know, I think this is uh, an interesting area of the defense budget uh, to look at. I'm glad we had a, a chance to talk about it today. Uh, it's something that people uh, often don't talk about uh, when they talk about the defense budget. They focus on, you know, weapon systems and numbers of troops and force structure, uh, you know, and future military threats. Uh, but the reality is, you know, when you get down into the, the numbers of the budget and the day-to-day operations of the Department of Defense, uh, health care is a, a significant factor. Um, so, you know, the more uh, attention and, and thoughtful debate that we can uh, get out there about the subject, the better I think we'll be.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. The American healthcare care system can do miracles for people. But it costs a lot of money. We hear of people being bankrupted by their health care bills. We hear of major industries that are suffering under the weight of their health care promises and responsibilities. Even the American military is affected. And what we see in the military health system is the underlying problem that Economic incentives, which function in every part of the American economy, function the same way in the healthcare system. And when people don't have to pay for care, they, they're high users of care. The military wants to consider making people pay for care, pay for the insurance, and in so doing, drive people out of the military system into the private sector that just moves the costs around. That doesn't really change the overall cost of health care in the United States. Maybe it is a good thing to get it out of the military's budget, but it doesn't solve our overall health care problem. Now, one of the pieces of good news in all, in all this is that the military health system is largely government-run, government-run health care, and it's great health care. But again, the problem is the cost. So, People want to have a government-run healthcare care system. Hey, you know, I don't think the sky is falling. On the other hand, it doesn't solve the underlying problem of cost unless the government begins to ration the care. Now, that would, would, would um, help control the costs, but then there's the issue of quality. It comes down to something we've discussed many times on this show, which is giving people themselves the responsibility for paying for enough of their care that there's incentives in the systems that for competition for people to seek out lower cost services and to use their health care dollar more reasonably. Well, we're gonna come back to that issue again and again on this program because it lies at the heart of our healthcare system's problems. Next week, however, we're gonna go talk to the CEO of a small town hospital to see what small town hospitals like We'll be talking to Bill James, the CEO of Northern Hospital of Surry County, a hospital located in Mount Airy, North Carolina, hometown of Andy Griffith, the place on which Mayberry was based. Yes, we're going to talk to the head of the Mayberry Hospital for all practical purposes. That's our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Getting Better healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Until next week,
1: have the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DoctorScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.